participatory. You get a grade at the end. Okay, raise your hand if you feel ashamed, right? Like, 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 you've, or, or like, you, like you've dropped the ball or done something that felt like a total jerk. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, I feel that way. I've broken so many promises in my life and had so many promises broken right towards me. Anybody? Broken promiser? That's a word. Haven't those broken promises shaped you? Right? Haven't they, haven't they kind of molded you, wrecked you, destroyed you, robbed from you? We have all, all been dropped. Right? People failing us over and over again. Friends departing. Right? Pastors failing us. Right? Ministries falling apart. Right? Churches falling apart. We've all been stood up, forgotten about, right? Left with the check. Anybody been left with the check? The other side of that is we have all failed to deliver. It's okay. Hey, Caroline, how you doing? I'm good. But missing deadlines, Caroline, right? Missing deadlines. Totally missing deadline. Arriving late. Just kidding. I'm glad you're here. Expectations, right? Meet, meeting and, and exceeding, or, or on the other side, failing expectations, marriages coming apart, right? Dating life crumbling, singleness, feeling alone and abandoned, right? We all have these moments, right, of, of the shame that we carry. It creates, these moments create deep, and, and painful shame. And we begin, when that shame comes on, we begin to work like good little Israelites. Right? We begin, to, we begin to fashion our own idols. Right? We begin to become like Adam and become great seamstress. Right? Sewing fig leaves together to cover this shame. Some of us begin giving the clothes off our backs. Right? Just give, give, give until we open our closet one day and realize we don't have a thread of clothes left. False, we create false social identities. We live in a world of social media, right? You can be whoever you want to be. Right? Catfishing is a thing. Right? We can be whoever we want to be. We can soak up all the perfection that the social media, right, debacle has to offer. We can look like we want to look but leave only to leave our batteries dead and leave us alone and abandoned and orphaned. Wishing we could be someone or something else, only to find emptiness and others' failed attempts at imitation. Have you felt this? Remember, participatory, hands up. Have you felt this? Then as we, as we stand exposed, we, we make an attempt to cover ourselves, right? We, we make an attempt to sew those fig leaves together to cover our shame. We work to gain back our emotional virginity, right? Because we've given of ourselves, and we don't like the being dropped. And so we work to get that emotional virginity back, right? Make ourselves pure again. Then we begin... Right? We, we've given too much, we've built the wrong direction, and then we begin to elevate man above God, and we've totally lost our grip on reality. Does anybody in here ever feel like you're just out of control? Like, when is it going to stop? Then we swing the opposite direction. We then begin protecting ourselves, pushing people away, manipulating situations, having conversations, pushing people in the way we want them to, to, to act and behave. We seal our wounds and we say nope to everything else. We begin to destroy life, our lives and the lives that are around us. How many of you in here this morning are afraid? I'm afraid. Something. Afraid. Just want to see in here who gets me, who understands me. At times, I live in total despair and doubt. Like total despair. You, you, guys, you guys that are struggling with fear, do you understand what I'm coming from? It's like you go to sleep at night scared and you wake up scared. And there's like a 12-hour period where you don't feel that because what? Because your news feed is filling that tank, right? You're high-fiving and shaking hands. 
And then we find ourselves alone and afraid, questioning, wrestling, escaping. Right at this moment, right now, you're wondering if you can keep up the charade. How long will it be till you're found out? That's what the question in your head is. It's the question in my head. Right now, you're, you're wondering if God can love you where you're at. Because you don't think the people next to you can. So how can God? Right? How can he? Because this person's failed me. This person's broken a promise. This person's fake. So how can they, how can they love me? Why, why would God? If they can't, why would God? Listen, fear is a nasty villain. Nasty. So we begin building safe houses. Right? Begin stacking bricks. Learning how to lay mortar. I don't know about y'all, but I'm an excellent bricklayer now. Right? You plant your own church, you immediately become an awesome bricklayer. Right? Building safe houses. Creating safe moments and safe spaces only to find and discover when a storm comes, right, and the wind starts blowing all the holes in the mortar. Right? And how shaky that is and the foundation where that's at. We try to find all the hidden warps to other dimensions. You Mario brother players, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You're looking for the cheat codes. Like, let's find the warps to all the other dimension and avoid, avoid the worlds we don't want to have to face. Only to discover at the end of those worlds, there's a dragon waiting for you anyway, right? Everybody knows that level eight, there's still a dragon. If we could just map out, if we could just map out the perfect escape route, right? If we could just find the perfect escape route and knit the perfect security blanket, or crochet it, if you will, or get our hands on that invisibility cloak that Harry Potter's got, right? Come on, Potter fanatics, right? I fed that, I fed that right there, right? You, you'll be well, everything will be fine. There, but listen, there's not enough wet fleeces out there to cover and to protect you from yourself or the world. There's just not. But man, we will try to knit us one like there's no tomorrow. We'll try to build us one. We attempt to conceive our own baby Jesus. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Start building our own baby Jesuses. Our little, our little hearts become idol factories. Anyone ever try to make a baby by yourself? It's weird. Don't do it. You can't do it. It's weird. We expect, listen to me, we expect with a capital E, immaculate conception without ever being intimate with Jesus. We want immaculate things to happen in our life, but we won't give of ourselves in the intimacy category with Jesus because we're guilty, we're afraid, and we're ashamed. This is me. We say things like, I'm not ready for this. Like, pick someone else. Dr. Clint's story, right? Like, you, you hear a story like they like, I don't want to go over there. I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to go plant a church. I don't want to talk to my neighbors. This stuff's, this stuff's hard. What, I'm not ready, right? You sound like a, like, a, like, a, like a new, young, pregnant mom. I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready to give birth. Well, here's a, here, let you in on a little secret. No one ever is. No one's ready to have a baby. I was 21 when we had our first baby. I didn't know what I was doing. Right? I had no clue. No clue. And then someone hands me this little bundle of whateverness that I'm supposed to make sense out of. I wasn't ready. No one ever is. Sometimes my head is, is, is hung so low because of guilt that I walk into things. Anybody in here ever walked into something? You know what I'm talking about? Like just, just flat out walked into something, right? I'm, I'm, I do that all the time. And when I get guilty, I become the four-finger pointer. Y'all know what I'm talking about? My, 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 my pointing and blaming isn't done like this anymore. It's done like this. Why is it done like this? Because y'all know the saying, right? There's one point at you. There's what? There, I'm pointing one at you. There's how many pointing at me? Three. But if I do this, guess what? No, no more. This is your fault. Right? You did this. Why are you acting that way? I become rigid and stiff. 
When have you become like this? When is this moment for you? Being wrong doesn't make sense to you. It doesn't equate. It's not logical. Let me tell you something about you that you don't know. Anyone ever said that or done that? I've done that a ton. I do it especially with my kids, right? That's low-hanging fruit. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you something about you that you don't know right now, right? So, so, so think about those moments. The toilet paper always goes on the roll this way. Anybody had that fight in their house yet? Newlyweds, right? Which way does the toilet paper go on a roll? If you have a cat, it's really important, right? Because cats will, right? I can't let stuff like that go. I just can't. I can't do it. And so when we fail and we can't seem to to white knuckle or wring a drop of satisfaction from people or things or projects, guilt sets in. Because I've done something wrong. I should be able to figure this out, but I can't. So then some of us start swinging a hammer. You know what I mean? Start building things. Start, Start working. Start swinging a hammer. Let's get this done. Let's crush this out. Only to smash your own thumb. Some make lists. Checklist. Boop, boop, boop. Yeah, I see some heads nodding, right? Got some checklists. Flow charts. I love flow charts. Because flow charts say something that's going to get done. Right? Some, some of us download apps to organize us. Phones full of them, right? Only to stare at a trash bin overflowing with uncompleted projects and resolutions and goals. If you're like me, you find or invent new ways to find joy, right? I'm not happy with who I am. I'm not happy with who God says I am. And so I begin to, to create ways and find ways to find joy, only to realize that emotional high will eventually leave because everything, everything but the gospel has a shelf life. Everything. Things of this world will fade. The gospel is timeless. After all of our work and dedication, when we're finally presented with our, our creation, right, our pet project, our baby for people like me, we demand that the baby serve us, right? Serve me, oh, we one. It can't be the other way around because, after all, I did all the work. I, I did all the work. I bled. I cried. I wrestled, I shaped, I chiseled, I formed, I did all the work, I communicated, I prayed, I read, I stored up. Jesus, you didn't do anything. I did all that. You see how fast we, see how fast we downward spiral? See how fast we come unraveled? Feeling ashamed for how we behaved feeling guilty for all the wrongs you need to make right right now, you're thinking about people you need to apologize to, things you need to correct. I need this in this season, this Advent season. I need to, I need to feel the weight of my own depravity. I need to feel the weight of that downward spiral. I need to see a gospel that proclaims the coming of my rescue. I need to feel that. I need to see that cross-shaped love coming through the flames of smoke to rescue me, right? To rescue me as I crawl on a floor because the heat's driven me down. I need to, I need to see that coming for me. In this, in this Christmas carol of O Come Emmanuel, we find lyrics full and riddled with guilt, fear, and pl- pain, pleading for rescue, redemption, and a Savior to come, right? Pleading. Those lyrics are moving, but I want to look at the gospel, you're thinking, is this dude ever going to open the Bible? Yes, I am. Turn to Isaiah 9. I'm sorry, 7 first. Isaiah 7. I'll give you a second to get there. Isaiah 7, we're going to look at one verse. Y'all are like, ooh, that's dangerous. You shouldn't be doing that. We're going to look at one verse. 7.14. Isaiah 7.14. Should be on the screen. It says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Guys, listen. That is a gospel promise. 
That is a gospel promise. Right? The Lord himself. Isaiah is proclaiming, this isn't me. This isn't me, Isaiah. This is the Lord himself. The Lord himself will give you a sign. And behold, the virgin shall conceive. That's hard to grasp. That's hard to understand. Like, literally, I'm saying that for me. It's hard to understand. Like, I, I, I have trouble grasping that. Right? And, and, and some of you or a lot of you or maybe one of you might be saying, that's not good news to me, man. Like, I don't see the promise in that. I don't see, I don't see how it's good news that the Lord himself will conceive, or a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. I don't see it. If you, and the reason is, is because if you ever felt like you heard from the Lord only to arrive at a place where you feel dropped and abandoned. Like he didn't follow through with his end of the deal. You know what I'm talking about? You gave of yourself. You gave of your time, talent, and treasure only to receive nada. That's Spanish for nothing. Right? Nothing. You don't receive anything. And the truth is, the truth is you have been dropped. You have been abandoned, but not by him. Not by him. You may, you may have heard wrong, right? Or like, or like Isaiah, you and the Lord had different versions of how said thing will turn out, right? But I see it this way. And God's like, yeah, right. No. It's going to be like this, right? That's not on him, though. That's on us. That's on us. He has and always will be for you. He always has and will be for you. This passage actually shows him doing it, right? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That happened, right? If you're a Christian here, you love Jesus, you believe that that actually happened. So when you see no come Emmanuel, it happened. It happened. This, this, this promise reveals that promised nature of God. The Father that never fails. The Father that never abandons. Right? The Father that, that's never, that never shortchanges you. The Father that never quits pursuing and laboring for you. That's a promise. In the dark, though, I have a hard time remembering that. When the lights go out, I'm staring at the ceiling with my wife next to me. It's hard to remember that. That promise that the Lord himself, fill in the blank. The Lord himself will, dot, dot, dot. Right? I need to tell myself that. In the dark moments, in the, in the quiet moments, right? In the moments that aren't riddled with my news feed, I need to remember that the Lord himself will build his church. The Lord himself will provide me a job or will provide food or will provide shelter or clothing or comfort. The Lord himself will dot, dot, dot. So look at, just turn a couple pages. Look at Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Hope has a name. Hope has a name, lots of names, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Here, God gives a name to hope. But some of us, me included, we're just kind of falling forward in life. You know what I'm talking about? You're just falling forward. Nothing, nothing the, the steps don't seem right, planned necessarily. You're just falling forward. It doesn't seem like he's very zealous for you, does it? It doesn't for me. I feel out of control. 
You know, I feel, I feel at times I'm just, I'm just, I'm either spiraling, I'm falling forward, there's something going on, and then I read a passage like this, and I just think, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I, I, I struggle believing that. But these are names for you and for me. Him giving hope a name to call him by, to remember him by, and how pleased he is in you. These names of hopes are are everlasting. But we struggle with this. I struggle with this. You struggle with this because we've taken a Sharpie and a, ta- and a stack of Post-its and we've relabeled every idol in our life, God, and just water it down, right? We relabel everything in our life, God. Every disgusting idol, we put God on there and that's why this isn't hope. That's why Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, right? A wonderful Counselor. These aren't names that bring you hope because the things in your life that you're labeling God aren't giving you hope. They're leaving you empty. Empty vessels. Broken wounds. Robbing your virginity. Listen, I've done this with the church you sent me to plant. Luke told me not to. He warned me, right? Had a bunch of men in my life warn me. You can make this church an idol, Chris. No. No, you can't. Oh, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. And sadly, I've tried to wring satisfaction and success and joy out of men and women sitting in seats in my church that I'll meet later this evening. And I've spent the last 16 months going back and apologizing and repenting. Right, for trying to wring joy and satisfaction and hope and promises from people that, that, that totally can't give me that. And no fault of their own, totally rests on my shoulders. All because I'm labeling things wrong. But then the, the grace comes. Right, Matthew, flip over to Matthew 1. In Matthew 1, we see this. We see this, this beautiful, beautiful picture of grace. Matthew 1, verse 23. Matthew 1, 23. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive. What did we just read in Isaiah 7, right? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So again, after all of our crap, he provides grace. He sends us a Savior. God with us. I can tell you right now, without talking to most of you, you don't feel like God is with you, right? And the reason I know that is because I feel it too. I know you guys don't. You may. You may. You, you may feel God with you at times. You, you may go through weeks and months, but there are moments where you're tired of blind faith. Anybody tired of trusting blindly? It's okay to say that. You're tired of that. But here's the, here's the gospel hope of me, or, or me, not the gospel hope of me, the gospel hope of Jesus is that, that I'm thankful that he didn't stop at just faith and trust. He didn't just give up or quit, right? He was very participatory in his life, death, and resurrection, right? He was very active. Agree? Yes, say yes. That's the correct answer. Right? So, so what I mean by that is, 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 is he knew, he knew what was to come. He knew what was to come and didn't shy away. Didn't shy away. Knew that he would be mangled and tortured and beaten and ultimately die and killed, be murdered on the cross for you and for me. And he was awake and he was active. He was not asleep at the wheel. He was very awake very active. He knew and he kept going. At times, I, I pace, wondering what's, what's going to happen. Right? I bite my nails. Not because they taste good. 
right? It's because I'm nervous. I'm scared of what's to come, right? I don't bite my nails any other time unless I'm driving. Why? Because I'm alone with my thoughts. And that's where I, I spin myself into this, this, this pacing in my brain, this wandering, this, this, this scared, this fear, burdened by guilt, riddled with shame, right, to the point of just eating my fingernails. I just don't imagine Jesus was a nail-biter. I just imagine that he was very, very participatory in his acts on this planet. The reality is those is, is for me and for you is that we have nothing to fear. Right? We have nothing to fear. There, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. That's the reality. I mean, the story goes, I mean, I know this is his, you know, Advent is celebrating his coming into the world, but upon his leaving the world, he blew the doors off a tomb. Right? But I don't take the time to get my nose out of my belly button to look in and believe it and see it for myself. I struggle, right? I'm more interested in the color of my belly button lint than I am an empty tomb. Listen, friends, he, he came, he rose, he died, he rose, he's alive, but, but more beautiful than any of that is he came to die. This proclamation of, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, that was only for like 30 years. It's not a long time. He came to die. I find myself a lot of times like David Turner, right? The guy I spoke about at the beginning. I witnessed fire after fire in my life, right? And I kiss my wife goodbye, and I turn my back on community and ignore God, right, and, and run head first into a burning, smoky house alone and unprotected, right? No, no sword, no sword, no armor, right, to battle a dragon, only to redeem parts of my life, just small parts of my life. Right? And have others not make it. Only to, only to scramble and throw things out of a window to save them. Only to drag other things down a hall and fall short. Leaving things and people scarred and dead. We need a Savior. O come Emmanuel. I discover I'm more like the Israelites than I like to admit. These passages... And this song, this, this, this carol that we sing of O Come, Emmanuel, speaks to a deeper longing for my soul to be satisfied in Jesus. Not in things of this world. Not in things in this world. I am grateful for him coming and living and dying. I'm grateful for those things. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. We have to be participatory. He's inviting us into that. Right? He's inviting us in to be a part of this. He wants us to participate. So today, as, as we sing this carol, right, as we sing, O come, Emmanuel, I pray that we sing it not just today or not just for the next few weeks, but we sing it every day with hope, remembering the promise Remembering his grace, asking for his grace, asking, begging for his grace. This, this carol, this, this song is at the core of Christianity. It's the core. Oh, come, Emmanuel. Oh, come, God, be with us. Please be with us. It's a battle cry of, of waiting and pleading, of fear, of guilt, of shame. In community, we remind each other of the promise and rejoice. We love to, we love to be gospel fluent here. That's, that's what we do, right? We learn another language called gospel fluency. 
And so what we're doing is we're reminding each other the promises God has made, the hope that he brings, and we rejoice together. We preach those promises to one another. We bear one another burdens. Remember today, you're not alone. You feel like God has left you. There's a person sitting to your left or right that should remind you that he hasn't. So when the lights go out and it's dark, we're the kind of church that should be looking at each other and saying, hey, friend, listen, get out of the dark. Get out of the dark. Come to the light. Why? Because, because God is with you. God's with us. You're not alone, regardless of how you feel. You're not. God is here. He is with you, and he's with me. As missionaries, remind you that, that this song isn't just for the month of December. Right? It doesn't just expire on December 26th. Amen, right? It's okay to sing these songs throughout the year. I realize the mandolin makes it kind of sexy or whatever, whatever instrument they're, they're strumming, right? There's an entire playlist on iTunes right now called O Come Emmanuel of like 60 different versions of the song, right? Sing it when you will. But we, but, we, but we struggle with mission sometimes to see mission as a long-term thing. We think it's something we do only for a season, only for a moment, only for four weeks. Only for four weeks will we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Only for four weeks. And then in April, one day we'll celebrate his death and resurrection. Right? No, no, friends. It's, it's every day. Rejoice and remember. Right? I'm going to close this out and ask the worship team to come up. But as they're doing that, I want to, I want to tell you something. I want to say something to you. <clears throat> my, my hope, right, this is going to sound really mean, and I totally ripped it off from Luke, but my hope is that I've ruined this song for you. My hope is that, that it's ruined, it's been tainted for you in a way that you won't just sing it emptiness, with emptiness anymore, right, that you won't just, you, you, you won't sing it without emotion, you won't just sing it at Christmas time, right? My hope is that, is that we pray. My hope and my prayer is that we sing it with different lungs today and every day, with a different heart, with a pleading heart, with your hearts riddled with guilt, fear, and shame. I pray that this song and these passages bring you hope, bring you a promise, bring you grace. So let's stand as we as we sing, and as you stand, as we sing together, this is what I ask my people to do during this time, because this is a time of our communion, right? When we, when we will we'll, we'll gather at a communion table, that's in the back, there's bread and juice back there for communion, and when we do that, I ask our people three, I ask them to do three things in this moment, and I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. I ask you to go back there and not just, not just Go, not just be led through that like a, like a lamb of slaughter, right? Meaning you're just going through there like aimless sheep, right? I ask that you go through there and you spend some time confessing. That's number one. Confessing where you've fallen short, where you've wrecked and abandoned, where you've been abandoned. Anything you need to confess, I ask that you do it there, right? Then the second thing is I ask you to repent. Ask for God to forgive you. He will. Repent where you've fallen and fell, fallen short. If made idols, repent of all of that and then, friends, celebrate. Celebrate that he came and he came to die for you. Celebrate. Right? What we sing, celebrate, rejoice. That's what the song says. Rejoice. Emmanuel, right? It, it, Emmanuel is to come. Rejoice. Don't leave here today with the same old convictions and condemnation you walked in here with. You don't have to do that. Not because of anything I said, but everything that Isaiah and Matthew said. Right? Not anything I've said. Let's pray. Father, Abba, God, I just, I ask you, God, that you would, you would come today. God, that you would remind us today, in this season in this hour, in this moment, in the next few minutes that you are with us, you have, you have come to save and redeem us. 
God, those that know you and love you in here this morning, God, I pray that they remember that. I pray that as we sing this song, God, and as we remember you, that we remember you with a different heart and different lungs. God, who cares what we sound like when we sing? We can leave our, 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 our fake and false identities at that table back there. God, I ask that we would be a people this morning that plead with you. That plead, oh come, oh come, Emmanuel, the lyrics, God, that, that, are, that, are, that are strung from the pages that we've read. I ask for conviction this morning from your Holy Spirit. Convict me where I've fallen short, where I've, where I've done wrong, God. I confess that I don't always carry these truths into every situation. I don't carry these promises with me like I should. I write, I write names on things, and it's not wonderful, Counselor, mighty God. And so I ask, God, for you to forgive me where I've fallen short. I ask for you to forgive us as a people where we've, where we've dropped the ball, God, where we've made idols, where we've, we've fashioned safe places to hide in, hide from you, hide from others. God, but ultimately today I ask during this time that we celebrate you. We celebrate who you are, what you've done, and who Jesus is. God, we love you, God. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank that you brought him to us. God, thank you for the season that we get to remember him in. But God, ultimately, we want to give you all the glory and honor and praise this morning and just ask that, that we remember you leaving here. We love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. show gratitude even in the harshest elements that time and space can throw right now. I'm free to lament even when it doesn't make any sense to the people around me. I'm free to land in a place of trust and you are too. But just as some quick diagnostic, I mean I want you to consider where do you catch yourself grumbling the most? Where does that happen for you? 
right? What is it that others are not doing for you right now? How are other people screwing up your operation? That's where we're pointing our finger this way. Then ask yourself, what is it that God's not doing for me? How is he screwing up everything? That's where our fingers are pointed this way. How is that happening for you? I mean, because you just can't get a fair shake, can you? Can't get a fair shake. Someone's doing it to you. They're being thoughtless. They're not giving you what you need. You're getting stuff that you don't deserve. Others are getting what you do deserve. It's just not fair, is it? It's not fair. But the will of God is for you to come face to face with the not fair in your life, the grumbling, and ask, what is it that I need so bad? What is it that I feel I need so bad right now that is being withheld from me? And why do I require this so much right now? Recognition, peace, justification, vengeance, apologies, appreciation, reward. And what does it say about how you see God? What does it say about how you see yourself? Because listen, sure, you have trouble. That's okay, Jesus said you would. You have trouble. But God allows all sorts of things he does not approve of. Let me say this again so you don't miss it. God allows all sorts of things that he does not approve of because he hated the torture, the injustice, and the treason that led to the crucifixion. Yet he permitted it so that the world's worst murder could become the world's only salvation. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Ask Johnny Tata, she'll tell you. She'll tell you. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4 is also a helpful passage. We're going to be in 17th verse. I'm just going to run right through a couple verses. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, your thanksgiving puts the gospel of God on full display for mankind. So how do you give thanks in all circumstances? How do you do that? We just do it the same way Jesus did. We pull from his playbook. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. There was a joy that was set before him. He trusted the Lord. And we are able to do the exact same thing with the exact same Holy Spirit, with the exact same promise given to us, with the exact same God. And yeah, it's a hard fight. This is a hard fight. God told us that it would be that way. But we grow in the practice of cultivating gratitude. And how do we do? Through rigorous exercise and discipline of doing it. Where we practice seeing grace around us instead of seeing self. Where we practice being thankful for things that it doesn't seem right to even be thankful for. It takes practice. In fact, if I was to just drive a little bit of harder application to it, you know, there is something that, I mean, we'll learn about it when we do our spiritual disciplines class. In fact, we're going to learn how to write one. It's called a rule of life. It's a real old practice of developing what your spiritual disciplines look like, hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, annually. It's just a, it's a master plan of how you sit at the feet of Jesus and behold him, okay? Whether you do it every hour all the way up to every year. It's just, it's a rule of life. And what some people will do within their rule of life is they will carve their day into segments. This is just a freebie. Carve your day into segments. Zach Eswine calls it the four portions. That's how he divides it up. I do mine. Um, I'll do it somewhere right before lunch, somewhere right before dinner, and then early in the morning. So I only carve mine into three days, but I'll have an alarm that goes off on my watch, and then it just reminds me, and this is what I do. I think back to how I've been feeling the last five or six hours. What's been the most predominant feeling? And it's taken some practice to do this. It's an exercise. It's a, it's a discipline, right? And I, have I been feeling ripped off? Have I grumbled? In our case, we'll use it for grumbling. What have I grumbled about? What is it that I'm feeling I'm being robbed of? Who's taking it from me? Why do I need that so bad? What does it mean about how I see God? How I see myself? 
And it allows us to process that quickly. Because you know how it is. You get to the end of the day, you forget how you felt at 9 a.m. that morning. But if you cut that day up into portions, a good spiritual discipline is just to reflect back and say, how have I felt the last five hours? Was I angry? Why was I angry? What was being stolen from me that made me so angry? Was I thankful? Why was I so thankful? Was I thankful because God gave me something? Or was I thankful because he is good to me? Right? And you're able to give yourself a hard assessment often. And it only takes a moment to do this. Just to step off the track. Just for one second. And ask a couple really well-placed questions. And then when you're done, step right back on the track and finish your day. It's a great spiritual discipline. Another rendition of this is I know some guys, other pastor friends of mine, I don't do this journaling, something that's a little bit of a struggle for me, but they'll keep a journal by their bed. And before they go to bed, every day they write down one sentence, a date and a sentence. This is an area I saw God's good grace to me today. That's it. They're not allowed to write two, just one. And all I have to do is locate a place where they could be what? Thankful but they're having to practice to look through the lens of thanksgiving. To be thankful in all things. And this is what they'll tell you. Luke, we would start off just thanking God for good things that happened to us. Right? A great phone call, check in the mail, you name it. But then it started to turn into, God, I thank you that I, I slipped into depression for a few hours on Saturday because it just reminded me how far I was swerving away from you and how you will come one day and upend even depression and there will never be another tear except what is caught in your bottle in your hand. You will wipe tears from all eyes. And that's where they land. That's a, that's a discipline. It has to be practiced, though. It has to be practiced. All right, go ahead and stand with me. We'll go ahead and jump out of this. I just, listen, we're, we're about to have our moment of communion, and this is where you get to respond as a church. There will be song, there will be music, and you'll get to sing along. That's a great way to interact with God as your response. Um, we'll have communion in the back, and that's where we really celebrate what God has done for us on the cross with the body broken and blood spilt out. So we take that in remembrance of him. So listen, if you're a Christian here, whether or not you are part of Legacy Church, we invite you to take communion. If you are if you are not a Christian, but you're a searcher, or you're a skeptic, or you're somewhere in between, or you're not quite sure, we just ask that you give your life to Jesus, that you would pray, and you would give your life to his kingship and his lordship in your life. But listen, if you are saved, if you call yourself a son or a daughter of the king, you have room to repent as we take communion and as we sing and as we pray. Room to repent for rebellion and unbelief that is underneath all of our grumbling. That thing in us that says, you are insufficient, you don't know what you're doing, and you're just horrible. That's an area of repentance. Now listen, you could ignore everything I've said today, everything, and get in your car and you could grumble for the rest of your life. And if you're a Christian, hear me now, God doesn't love you any less. The gospel says you are free to grumble. You're free to be a grumbler. But you're also free to give thanks in every single circumstance. And it doesn't mean that God loves you anymore if you do that. But you can enjoy Jesus. You can grow in an intimacy with him as you're thanking him in all circumstances. And listen, if you're in here and you are far from Christ, like I said, a searcher or a skeptic, just know what you already know. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Grumbling is in your DNA. Adam was a grumbler. Eve was a grumbler. Their first kid, Cain, big grumbler. And on the dominoes go, all the way to you, you're a grumbler. I know you're thankful for things, but it's impossible for you to be thankful in all things because that takes the power of the Holy Spirit. Without God being your prize above all prized, grumbling and thankless complaining is always going to be your permanent accent. So you have an opportunity as well to be in repentance, to repent for being a rebel, to repent for being a rebel. And for the very fact that you're grumbling is an accusation against God. And then listen, God is a good father. He is a good king. 
He is beautiful to us and generous and kind and noble and thoughtful. Let me pray for you, in fact. Father, we thank you for this service, but we thank you for being thoughtful. We thank you, Lord, that you showed us. You don't just tell us to be thankful in all things and just hand that down as some dictate or some rule, but you showed us because you broke bread knowing what was coming your way, knowing that that's not fair, and you didn't grumble. I would have grumbled. You didn't. You gave thanks. That was your thanksgiving. So Lord, I I pray that you would help us as your church see the grumbling in our hearts, whether we vocalize it or keep it inside. Ask ourselves the hard questions. What is it that we really, really have to have that the world's not giving us or that effectively you're not giving us? Why do we need that so bad? How is that completing us where you don't? Why do we want that more than we want you? Lord, we know that there is trouble in this world and it is just as sure as sparks flying up from a campfire. And Lord, we we can't We can't always control how we behave in those moments and we can't always control how we feel in those moments. But Lord, we pray that we would be a church, that you would lead our hearts in such a place where we're thankful in all circumstances, even if we don't understand them. That we're thankful for what you've ultimately done for us and how you ultimately love us and how you were ultimately good even when we don't understand what's going on and even when the hurt really hurts. That you are good and you do good things that you are kind and you do kind things to us, that we are able to trust you. Because if Christ trusts you with hell facing him, Lord, then we have the same Holy Spirit in us. So Lord, we love you. We pray for this Holy Spirit to be active in our lives. So as we pray, as we sing, as we give, as we take communion, Lord, we do so with thankful hearts. It's in your name we pray, amen.